to see you. I'm Daniel Self, and I'm glad you're joining us today. And if you would like more information on The Orchard, or if you would like to give and support what God is doing here, or become involved in our ministry, please visit theorchardlife.com. And whether you're a part of The Orchard family, or whether you're just tuning in from around the nation, we are glad you're with us today. And you have been prayed for, and we believe God has something for you in today's message. You know, in previous weeks, we've been discussing a period of time in an ancient book of Exodus where God sets his people free from generations of captivity. And through Moses, God spoke to the mighty Pharaoh with that famous line, let my people go. And eventually they were let go. And you would think from that point on, it would be just puppy dogs and rainbows. But it wasn't. I mean, what should have been a two-week journey from that point to the promised land turned into 40 years. 40 years of waiting in the wilderness. Why? Remember, the people of God had only known captivity in Egypt up until this point. They have been in generational captivity. And so while God took his people out of Egypt, God wanted to take the Egypt out of his people. In other words, setting them free from captivity was only the starting line, not the finish line. God wanted to move in their midst and grow their character and their faith and and their compassion and and break off the chains and the bondage from their previous life. And and the, the same is still true today, actually. Perhaps at some point you decided to believe and pray in Jesus for salvation. And at that moment, the Bible is clear that that you were transformed. You were set free from the curse of sin and and eternal death. You were made a new creation. But salvation was never intended to be the finish line. You don't say a prayer to receive Jesus and then finish the race. You see, salvation isn't the finish line. it's, It's the starting line. And God may have set you free and taken you out of captivity to sin, but it's important for him as he continues to take the power of sin out of you. And sometimes in life, that means we go through wilderness seasons. Now, usually these seasons are pretty rare and they're nuanced, and we find ourselves in them time to time. But right now, we found ourselves in a strange wilderness season that has been thrust upon us by external circumstances. And our typical routine and and rhythm has been thrown off. You know, the ancient people of God were in the wilderness season, and it was monotonous for them. It was routine. It was boring. And it kept them from the life experiences that they, they wanted and they desired. I mean, they wanted the promised land. They wanted the destination the land where they could, they could continue their career and make a life and, and go to the pub and go to the church and, and go to a concert and do the things they want to do. But instead, they were in the wilderness. They had left their old life and they would someday enter their new life. And in between was this pause, a gap of time where we aren't where we were and we aren't yet where we want to be, a season of wilderness. Sometimes we like to use the word limbo. <laughs> and being in limbo, it's, it's the worst, isn't it? Both the dance and the state of being. I mean, I did some research, and limbo derives its m- meaning from a medieval Latin uh, word that means edge or border. And there was this belief that, that limbo is the place on the edge of heaven or the border of hell. It, it's almost in heaven. Not yet. Which, which is kind of how this feels, right? I mean, we're stuck between the hell of shelter and virus and the heaven of freedom 
and continuing whatever normal life would be. And limbo is literally just being stuck in time between where you want to be and where you are. And limbo is the worst because it doesn't come with a clear expiration date. I mean, we have no idea when this is going to end, really, or what that's going to look like. So let's get on the same page today. Just like these ancient people of God in the wilderness, we are also in a season of limbo. For them, for us, in a season of waiting in the wilderness. You know, the wilderness teaches us some principles. I just want to touch on these real quick. Wilderness seasons ask us to slow down. They offer you a chance to slow down or, or they force you to slow down. And for some, this is welcomed. For some people, we need some adjustment. And for others, we resist anything that tries to get us to slow down. And, and we fill our life with any project or any entertainment to fill that void. But Wilderness Seasons calls us to slow down our engine of production and look at what our life actually could or should be producing when this is over. Wilderness Seasons remind us to focus on what matters most. I mean, what mattered most before the wilderness doesn't matter much while we're in it, does it? I mean, when every day is the same, what you wear or what you look like moves down the priority list. And, and along with sports and hobbies and impulse buys, we see where they stand now. And, and in their place, faith and family and friends began to move up list of importance. And for those ancient people in the wilderness and for us today, the wilderness season asks, asks us a very big question. Do you trust God? Like, do you, do you really trust him? I'm a hunter. I, uh, we eat elk, and elk saves us financially. It, it's, it feeds my family all year round. It's a game changer for us. And, and a couple years ago, I was hunting. There were only a few days in the season left. And um, when you hunt, you pray a lot. Oh, God, please help me get one. And I was out there, and, and, I, and that night, I had an elk in my sights. And I was 95% sure that that was the kind and gender of elk that I needed to shoot. The sun was getting right at shooting light, 95% certain, but wisdom cautioned me to wait. Don't take the shot. Be 100%. So I packed up. I got in a truck. I only had three days of hunting left, and I heard this whisper as I drove out. Do you trust me? I said, well, yeah, I trust you. I mean, and as I, as I heard God ask me, do you trust me? I thought, oh, I'm so glad I trust you because that means I'm going to get one. I trust you to get me one. I trust you to help me get an elk. Well, the next two nights I went out there and the same thing. Couldn't get a wise shot. The final night. And every night that week, every night, I would hear that same whisper on the drive out. Do you trust me? And every night, I trust you. I trust you. I'm, I'm going to get one. I'm going to get one tomorrow. That last night came. And this time I was, I was hunting all day and I was in, at the end of the day, I was in place. Right place, right time. Everything was set. I just had to wait for the elk. And if you've ever, hunt, ever hunted elk, you know that they don't like to cooperate. And hunting light came and went. And I went back to my truck. Hunting season, over. And I was driving out, thinking of these things. Because this means a lot for my family, financially and physically. And I heard this whisper, do you trust me? And I thought, do I trust you? 
I did trust you to help me get one. And he said, I know. But do you trust me now? Do you still trust me when things don't go the way you think they should? You see, we think, yes, I trust you, means God's going to come through for us the way that we hope he will. But we learn in wilderness that, yes, I trust you, means that we have faith in God, regardless of what happens. Because that's the question. Do you trust me is a question of, do you truly have faith in what you say you believe? And, And wilderness seasons reveal the measure of our faith. Wilderness seasons reveal the metal of our faith. Wilderness seasons reveal the the weak points in our faith and call us to stand in new trust. See, fear asks us, what if, what if? And we tremble at the possibilities, but faith says, even if, and trusts whatever the outcome. And so that, that question, do you trust me, is huge right now. In seasons like this, it's, it's, it's the question. Do you have faith in God to sustain you? Will he provide for me and my family financially? I mean, think of the questions we go through. Will he provide protection for me and my loved ones? Will he provide peace when I'm low and vulnerable? Will he provide relationships? Will he provide food? Will he provide fill in the blank? And below all these needs that we have, there's this whisper. Do you trust me when things don't go the way you think they should? This is the same issue for the children of God who are waiting there in the wilderness. Did they trust God to sustain them? And so we turn to Exodus 16, and we find them traveling and sheltering in the wilderness, and it says they're 15 days into their second month. That's about a month and a half in. Ironically, that's around the time where many of us are sheltering right now. And look what happens. Exodus 16, verse 2. In the desert, in the wilderness, the whole community grumbled against Moses. They grumbled. I mean, of, of course they did. It's, it's the wilderness. It's monotonous. It's boring. It's not how we want to live. You know, I have a friend, and he loves a good road trip. I mean, he's that guy that makes a custom playlist for every trip. He plans out his snacks, and and each gas station is a a five-star snack opportunity where he gets his Sour Patch Kids or his spicy Cheetos or any pop imaginable with some vanilla syrup added. I mean, and then the open road. The windows down, the wind in your hair, the music playing, the snacks, the the deep discussion with your co-pilot. Me, I can't stand road trips. I want to be where I'm going. I know, I'm a destination guy, and I know that reveals everybody. He doesn't appreciate the journey. I get it. Have you ever driven through Kansas on your journey and stopped at the world's largest ball of of yarn? (laughs) That's a journey I don't ever need to take again. I mean, just get me to my destination. You see, on road trips... I know what my heart does. It grumbles. And for the two short years that a a Texas Baptist University put up with me, my job every summer was to travel all over the sovereign nation of Texas and recruit kids to come to our college. And Texas is big, y'all. I mean, we would load up these vans and we would drive for days to our next place. Eight people, one van, 115 degree heat, 
only country music and the scenery. Well, from, from a boy from, from Redstone Rockies, the Texas horizon was left a lot to the imagination. The highlight of my day was we would stop to Allsup's and I would get to pick out some new color, let alone flavor of, of Powerade. Did I grumble? Absolutely. So I get this. When they grumble, I'm with them. <laughs> get me to the promised land. I get it. The wilderness grumbling. And right now in this season, many of us find ourselves in the same space. In the wilderness, the resources that we used to have and count on are gone. In the wilderness, things don't thrive or, or operate like they used to. In the wilderness, life slows down. In the wilderness, grumbling can just become a daily pastime because we want it to be over. Exodus 16:2. In the wilderness, the whole community grumbled against Moses. And in Exodus 16:3, the Israelites said to Moses, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Oh, because there we sat around pots of meat and we ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us to this wilderness to starve to death. I mean, can you believe it? God rescued them from generational slavery, from their babies being born in captivity and their people treated like cattle. But a month and a half into this wilderness and they are wishing, pining to go back to slavery. They romanticized what they had. We were so well fed then. We had it so good. Of course, we worked 16-hour days and our, our babies were taken from us and our women were used and our lives were crushed, but, but we had some food. Oh, if we could only go back. You see, the, the wilderness romanticizes the past. You, begun, you begin to get discontent at a level that makes you start to wish for some pretty strange relief. We romanticize the past. We fantasize about the future all to keep us from the reality of the present. And that's where God wants to move right now, in the moment. Do you trust me? They grumbled. We used to have pots of meat in captivity. They were worried and below their question of what, what can we eat? What's going to happen to us? Was God's whisper to them, do you trust me? They cried out for relief, and God gave them relief. But in his relief, he didn't solve their circumstances. He resourced them, but he did not end their uncertainty. He didn't end their wilderness, but he resourced them in the wilderness. They had legitimate needs, and it says that God met those. In verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And so God sends what is called manna to sustain them. Manna is bread from heaven that the people will eat through this season. It goes on. It says, manna came and God's people gathered just as much as they needed. And then Moses said to them, gather just enough for today. No one keep extra for tomorrow. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept extra for tomorrow, but when they went to use it, it was rotten and spoiled. You know, manna is an interesting thing. They had never seen anything like it before. In fact, manna translated in their language means simply, what is it? Like, what is this? They had no context for it. They, they couldn't make it. They couldn't grow it. They couldn't produce it. What they needed most was something from God that no one 
could produce or find on the earth. A divine resource to get them through the wilderness season. And see, what you need right now in this season isn't another vice or escape. What you need most is something that the world doesn't even offer. Something not of this world. And there's some, some important things about manna I want us to look at. You see, God provides manna just for today. Verse 4 says, I'll rain down bread from heaven for you. And it's just for today. This is incredible. You see, God meets their needs for today, not tomorrow. He provided what they needed to sustain them today. Manna didn't answer the uncertainty about their future, but it did give them resources that they needed in the present. And during this season of wilderness waiting, you need to know that God wants to resource you today. He provides a resource of peace in the present. You see, is he going to answer all your anxiety and all your questions about the future? No. God's manna is for the present. Jesus himself said in Matthew 6, 34, Do not worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. In other words, the peace of God is, is manna for today's worries, not tomorrow's. I don't have to entertain the whole, oh, what if this happens, and what if that happens, and what if, and what if, and what if, because I don't have the manna for those questions. But God resources me today for my worries and my needs. God gave his people manna so they would have strength to face what that day brought them. And God does the same thing today. And God is the daily bread that you need to be strong of spirit, emotionally healthy, mentally unshaken, and relationally grace-giving today. Does he give you this tomorrow? Yes! <laughs> but it will come tomorrow. And guess what? Every time the people of God, here in Exodus, would ignore God's command and start stockpiling and saving in mason jars for tomorrow, guess what? When they, would, when they would go and open them tomorrow, they would wake up and it would be spoiled. Because yesterday's resources don't help today's problems. God wants to give you strength for today. Fresh peace, renewed patience, like crisp contentment and, and grace as fresh as the morning dew. Manna from heaven, God's resource is for today. What else we learn about manna from our ancient family is this, is that you have to seek it. God provides it, but it's ours to seek it and find it. Verse four again, then the Lord said to Moses, I'll rain down bread from heaven and people will go out each day and gather enough for that day. You see, yes, God's providing peace and strength and resilience and resource that you need for today, but we have to seek it. I mean, you might be wondering, where is it? Where's God's resources? God, where are you? Where are you, where are you helping me? And I can tell you what I've learned is that I don't find manna in distractions. I don't find God's manna in entertainment. I don't find manna in busyness. I don't find manna in any of my usual places. I find God's manna when I go seeking it and seeking Him. I find manna in a, in a God-centered conversation with my wife or a friend. I find manna in my daily reading and feeding on God's Word. 
I find manna in my prayer time where I am just still in his presence. I find manna when I'm listening and engaging in worship music. I find manna when I'm journaling to him, spending time with him. You see, the things about God and his daily manna, I don't find them on television or on Facebook. That's often a daily diet that, that makes my heart more uncertain, more worried. To be sustained by the daily resources of heaven, I need to seek God daily. Remember, I can't seek God today and hope that the peace will last me tomorrow. Manna spoils overnight. I can't rely on yesterday's resources for today's worries and today's new circumstances. And this is important because for many of us, we're trying to apply some manna that we got 20 years ago to a current circumstance. I mean, a global pandemic hits and, and I pull out some moldy and crusty piece of faith that I chewed on for Y2K and I, I, I try to boldly declare, I wasn't worried then and I'm, I'm not worried now. But that only gets you so far. The truth is, I need fresh faith. I need today peace. My heart, my mind, my marriage, I need manna for today. And tomorrow? Well, I'll worry about that when I get there. I only have enough for today. Those are two strong manna principles, is that God's resources are good for today, and you need to go seek those today. What I love is that this isn't just an ancient lesson for those in the wilderness. Jesus spoke about manna on more than one occasion. But there's one place I want to look a little bit closer. In Matthew 6, the disciples ask Jesus a great question. They say, Jesus, how should we pray? And he says a prayer we've probably all heard. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, praise be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today, each day, give us this day, our daily bread. The word daily here, the word used here is uh, epiuso, epiusias. Give us this day our epiusias, bread. This word is only found in the Bible in reference to this prayer. It's found nowhere else in the Bible, but it's also found nowhere else in the world. So what we have to look at is context. And context is important. I mean, here's why context is important. See, thousands of years from now, some linguistic expert will, will find and unearth a recording of somebody doing a, a song or a poem, and he'll bring it to his colleagues, and they'll listen to it. And he'll, he'll say, I have no idea what this means. Let's listen. I'm bad. I'm bad. You know it. Chum on. <laughs> I mean, without context, no one knows what chum on means, right? But it meant something at the time and place. And there's two camps of contextual interpretation for this word, epiusios. The first one is this. It means what is necessary for today. Give us what I need. Give me the bread I need today that is necessary. What's that sound like? Manna. Give me what I need today. Resource me today, God. The other meaning is, meaning people believe it might mean, is, is the bread of the future. This is not just what sustains me today, but what grants me something further. It hints at Jesus being super substantial bread. That Jesus offers something beyond manna today. 
And amazingly, in John 6, Jesus discusses manna and makes a startling claim. In verse 35, he says this. He says, I am the bread of life. That Jesus, the bread of life, does more than daily meet our needs, doesn't he? So what does it mean? Give us this day our, our daily bread. You see, this is the mystery of, and offer of Jesus. He, he grants me a bread that's super substantial. That Jesus, the bread of life, gives me salvation that changes my past, my present, and my future, and my eternity. That Jesus isn't just good for someday. We also see the other meaning for bread here. The offer of manna, give me today my daily bread for my needs. So yes, there's this super substantial bread that covers and transcends my life, but also, Jesus, I need you today. <laughs> I need to be strengthened now. Jesus, the bread of life, offers both eternal salvation and daily manifestation. Peace with God for all eternity and peace from God for today. And that's good news. We need both. We need the bread of life for our eternal souls and our daily walk. And for those of you who want to know Jesus for salvation, who want, to, who want to receive the bread of life so that you can have a changed past and eternity and present, we're going to pray that in a second. But for, first I want to talk about what it means to trust manna. I want to talk briefly and bluntly about daily manna. See, the reality is we've always needed these daily resources of heaven in our life. We were just too busy to feel it. We were gorging on busyness. But in the wilderness, in limbo, our truest needs are exposed. And if there's one thing you and I can learn from these weeks or these months of wilderness sheltering, it's this. God wants you to seek Him daily. God wants to resource you daily. God wants a daily relationship with you. And I want to encourage you to seek manna every day. Every morning it's new. Every day it's available. You can't take it in tomorrow, and yesterday's manna won't help you today. You need today's divine resource. And so as you hear this, may this be something you feed on today. And then tomorrow, at some point, Make the time to seek God. In His Word, in worship, in conversation, in silence, in prayer, you're going to need His daily manna. And God's presence is everything you need to get through this. And so the challenge is this. Here's the challenge. Will you seek? Will you seek His manna daily? Will you seek it tomorrow? Will you do it? Will you commit with me to, to, to do it every day this week? Because we're going to need it. And for those others of you who, who you're just getting into this, and maybe you want to receive Jesus for salvation, you want the bread of life to start your journey with, with God, I want to remind you that Jesus died on the cross and rose again for you so that your sins could be clean and you would have a new life now in heaven someday. And if that's you, I just want you to pray this with me. Pray along with me right now. Jesus, I need you. I believe you died and rose again. I give you my life. I confess my sin. I ask for your salvation. Holy Spirit, fill me now. In Jesus' name, amen.
We can learn a lot about what it means to follow God from these ancient people in Exodus. And what we learn today is the principle of manna. God designed life so that you and I would trust Him daily. And in seeking Him, in being resourced by heaven, we can overcome anything that life throws at us. So here's the whisper from God to your heart. Do you trust me? Come, seek me. I'm glad, I'm glad you've joined us today. If you have questions based on this, or, or especially if you've prayed with me today to receive Jesus, I want to hear from you. And I want you to uh, get in touch with us. You can get more info on our ministry at theorchardlife.com or email me directly at daniel at theorchardlife.com. Hey, I love you. I'm praying for you. Love God and love people. I'll see you next week.